season two of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Sherry was recorded on July 13th, 2023. My name is Sherry and I'm a recovering adult child. And it's uh, really a pleasure to be here with you all tonight. I was mentioning before, for some reason or another, I, I start having Prior to, I start having anxiety. And then as soon as I get here and I know I'm among my peeps, I just have a comfort inside my heart. So my topic, when they asked me for a topic tonight, it's about connections. And for me, it's about connecting. Uh, I'm going to be sharing my experience, strength and hope and tell you a little bit about my story and where I am today. My first disconnect from who I really am actually was in utero. I was uh, in the gestational period of a woman who wasn't going to keep me. And there was something I have sensed in doing regression work in regards to knowing that um, I was going to be given away. And so when back then, when you were adopted, they just whisked you away and there wasn't a lot of contact with anyone other than the nurses that might pick you up in the nursery. And I remember having this sensation that I was crying like little babies do and their hands are like this. And it was the first time I realized that I was self-soothing that I had to make it okay with myself because I couldn't even breathe. I was um, given away to, or sold basically, to a, a man and woman who had adopted a child five years prior to my birth. And they, this is the story I got told over and over again once I could understand. So there was an attorney that handled the adoption of my older sister. She's five years older. And they said that the the attorney called them and said, we have good news and we have bad news. And my parents said, okay, well, the good news is we have a baby for you to adopt. And the bad news is it's a girl. So my parents wanted a boy. And uh, so as I kept hearing that story, it was like I was a disappointment uh, because I was a girl. Now, with everything in our shadows or in our woundedness, there in the dichotomy of life, there was something positive about that for me, which is I got a train set. I got all the, the boy stuff. And I really did like that. You know, I, my daughter, my sister was a girly girl and uh, just a little princess. And, um, and I was more of a rough and tumble young lady. And 
the people that were my caregivers, you know, I always hear that they did the best they could. It was an epigenetic alcoholism in both of them. My mother was a hypochondriac and my father was a perpetrator. So what a combination that was. Um, you know, and I, I really didn't feel connected to either of them. So there was that attachment disorder that I knew, well, that I had at a very young age. I didn't feel attached to anyone. And because my mother gave me away, my parents were so involved in their alcoholism, it was like I didn't really matter. And after all, I wasn't a boy. So I grew up feeling as though I was a disappointment. My mother was a critical, critical person. And she was very um, outer um, guided, you know, oriented in, in regards to make sure you always look good on the outside, right? Make it look like you have money, even though we really didn't have a lot of money. So because of that, trying to look good on the outside, and here's a woman who is obese and really didn't take very good care of herself, but it was up to us. So I had the, um, I had the little debutante thing. I had to learn how to walk with my feet right in front of each other, the book on the head, you know, all that. And then uh, the good news was I got ballet classes and I, that was my respite from the insanity in our home. And I became a, a very good ballerina. I tried out for the New York City Ballet when I was around 11 or 12. Uh, didn't make it. So one more disappointment, one more loss. But what I realized is we, there were so many secrets, so many secrets. We went to church. Um, I went to communion, did all the things that I was supposed to do. My father was um, very important in the church. And I sang in the choir. And the only good thing about Sundays is if you went to church, we got to go through the drive through donut shop on the way home. That was like, that was my highlight of going to church. Um, and, you know, we just lived with so many secrets and so much hidden things. I had a room with my sister, my older sister, for the first several years. And then when she got to be a teenager, around eight or nine, we made our toy room at the top of our stairs into my bedroom. I had a little um, hospital bed. There was no doors, just little curtains, which I could barely sleep at night because I was always listening for the floors to creak because my father was going to be coming in. and. I never knew whether my mother knew what was going on or not, or if she was just in major denial. I, um, and I, it's, that isn't as important to me as knowing how I felt. Whether other people were new or not, 
but no one was there to protect me and no one was there to rescue me. What did start happening is I got a little bit of beer and I became the little entertainer. And so whenever there was fighting and all of that, I would try and break into something that was going to uh, make everyone laugh or at least bring down the temperature in the room. I prayed and prayed to let the insanity stop in our house. And the mix was that I had friends, not many of them came in the house, but we had a huge backyard. There were swing sets, tether balls, merry-go-rounds. So we people would come over and play and then boom, they were gone. And I was left alone with, you know, crazy town in the house. I um, had that difficult relationship with my father. My mother was at work all the time. We had my great grandmother, we called her Nana. She lived with us. So she was my one nurture and my one real connection. She'd let me curl her hair. She looked out after us. She cooked all the meals. And um, she and my mother didn't get along. So my father ran interference. When I was 10, I was laying in bed. And my father, for some reason or another, he was very active. He had to go into the hospital for um, some tests. And I prayed and prayed and prayed that night. Oh, God, please don't let my daddy die. Please make my daddy going to be okay. You know, I was 10 year old, so confused. I loved him and I hated him. And um, I woke up in the middle of the night and there were all these people in our house. And my father had died of a massive heart attack. And I went down and my mother was all involved in her grief and she couldn't tend to me. My great grandmother was, everybody was in their grief and there was no tending to little Sherry. So once again, <clears throat> I had to learn how to self-soothe and how to take care of myself. But the guilt that I felt because I was filled with grief that my father died. Remember I was daddy's girl. And then the part of me was grateful he was gone because then as my perpetrator, those late nights wouldn't be happening anymore. Very confusing for a little child. And I had so much grief and sorrow and no way, nowhere to put it, nobody telling me what to do. So what I did is I stuffed it down and I layered it with anger. I layered it with anger and um, the need to control. I mean, we're talking, a, you know, a little person. So about four years later, my mother remarried and she remarried another alcoholic who was an abuser, not of me, but later on of my daughter. And um, but I tried to be the best girl I could be, you know, maybe if I just was better at everything, then they'd love me. Then I'd have a connection with them. Well, so I was a cheerleader. I um, got really good grades. I was a thespian, right? The little entertainer, 
in high school became a thespian. Uh, I remember I was Ado Annie in, in the, <laughs> the play, Oklahoma. Anyway, I just, then something happened, something like snapped right around my junior year. And I went from being this, I have to be perfect girl to now keep in mind, this is the late sixties and the seventies, early seventies. I went to the dark side. I went to the hippie chick in me, you know, I started wearing patchouli oil and long dresses and, um, and not really caring about all the prestige and, and the looking good on the outside that was going down the toilet because I just wanted to be me and I needed to get the energy out that I'd been suppressing for so long. So I realized so much of that today and through the program of ACA. But what happened was, is I got involved in the entertainment business and not to go into too much detail about that, but I was in that business for 10 years and there was no way out of it. Um, and my bosses went to prison for racketeering. And so I was able to survive getting out of that organization. Um, and meanwhile, I decided I didn't want to be married, but I wanted to be a mother. I wanted someone to love. I wasn't capable really of truly loving myself, but I wanted something, someone to love. And so I had a little girl and I wasn't married and you can do that, you know. And then um, five years later, I decided to have another child and I got a son. And so those two children were everything to me because you know what? They looked like me. Being adopted, you don't look like your family. So all of a sudden, there was like these mini me's and I, I had this connection for the first time. And I remind my daughter every birthday, every chance I get, how much she taught me how to open my heart. And next week, she's going to be 50, so... Anyway, I, um, but I drug them from babysitter to babysitter and, you know, all the crazy things that we women do in our addictions. And I had multiple. So whatever I could do to not feel my feelings, whether it was men or making money or drugs, alcohol, and it's a, a miracle, I feel that, um, I made it through some of those situations. I was uh, hitchhiking in Hawaii. Uh, that's where my daughter's father is lives. And um, I was picked up by these guys. And um, anyway, long story short is I was gang raped by five boys. And for many, many years, because of the way I felt about myself, just like with my father, it was my fault. It must've been my fault. And it wasn't through therapy and the 12 steps sponsorship that I was ever, ever able 
to come back into my body around that situation and forgive myself and forgive those that participated and to know that it really wasn't my fault. So when I got out of the entertainment business, um, the state decided to rehabilitate me because perhaps it was because I was drinking so much, um, but I had to, to do the work I was doing. I um, was able to get some training to do some other things. And I, I tried everything. I waited tables. I became a skincare expert. I became a massage therapist. I did all these different things. But around that same time is when I started going to 12-step groups. And my first experience with ACA, it was called ACOA then, and I know still in the country, there's places where it's called ACOA. Um, but it wasn't, Tony A's material wasn't out there. You know, this is the mid eighties. And I would go to meetings and it was like the inner child movement was really going on. Well, I, it was the very first time that I went in and found my inner child, my little Sherry. She was in a steamer trunk, you know, a big steamer trunk. And she was, you had to go through my parents' bedroom. Behind the eaves, there's a, there was a doorway for a closet. And, um, and she was there. And she was just this shriveled up, skinny, big, wide-eyed, frightened um, little girl. And I don't know how you all have found your inner child, but oh my gosh, I had to just scoop her up and hold her and love her and try to feed her with positive things and, and not abandon her and, and all the things that we learn in ACA. I was driving home one night from, uh, actually I had secretaried a meeting of ACOA and I was driving home and I was hit head on and rear-ended in the same accident. And that was in 1988. And so I had a brain injury and I had to learn how to talk all over again. And so what happened is I, other addictions took off during that time. And so my ACA work took a sideline. So I needed to get a hold of the other addictions. I feel, me personally, is that I had to be as finished with drugs and alcohol and my other addictions before I could really go in with honesty and compassion um, to do the work that I wanted to do. Um, so I, I feel as though that beginning really helped me, but like I said, I needed to take care of some other things before I could really get back to where I wanted to be. I knew that I had in me the fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. Because when those 10 years, when I was in the entertainment business, I was a fighter, kind of had to fight. 
And um, I have been a flight person, usually in relationships. If I thought they were going to leave me, my tennis shoes were by the door. Boom, I'm out of there. This is part of my attachment disorder. And today I know more about that. Um, freeze is, I don't like being scared. I don't like uh, when people, I'm not really into surprises because I need to know what's coming down the pike, right? I'm one of those adult children. Or, yeah. And so, but the freeze, uh, the fawning, I really didn't understand. And we don't talk about that as much. But I do know that there have been times when I've been in very violent situations where that was the way I needed to handle situations to survive, was to fawn. Whether it was my father, those men, whatever it was, situations where there was um, guns, different things, violence. Oftentimes I would have to fawn and that was my survival. So all four of those were part of my, my survival skills. Because of the way I was raised, I have been hypervigilant most of my life. Uh, my living out of the sympathetic nervous system. And so I tried to learn more tools that would help me relax, you know, the amygdala and relax and become more into the parasympathetic. And so I got certified in a lot of different things that would help me learn how to do that. And then in turn, I could help other people. And those were my connections. Those were ways that I could connect with people by sharing what I was learning. And even today, I still really enjoy that. And I feel as though it's part of my, that part of me that wanted to be a teacher or the entertainer, that wanting to learn more and then share that with others. I think we're just here to walk each other home. And I think we're here to listen to one another and to share what we've learned and the ways we've healed. And that's why these any meeting is, is a great place um, to be. And I know that almost all of my jobs I was trying to recreate my family of origin, you know, to connect with the people that I worked with. I even think in, even in the restaurant business, I liked being a waitress. Um, and, but just connecting with people, even if it's brief, what, 45 minutes for a dinner. And, uh, you know, you're connecting with people, you're feeding them. And I would always look at it in a spiritual way because of my upbringing in the church where I was. And I failed to mention that the minister molested me also. And my mother told me that it probably wasn't true. Uh, I, I needed to step away from that. And I, I became more aware of different ways of people experiencing a higher power. I studied as many different religions as I could. I did pre-ministerial work. And still today, I'm an officiant. And I love that. I love that because I know deep inside of me that I have a connection to something greater than myself. 
and each and every one of you does also. And that's my connection. Whether your personality is something that gets along with mine or not, I know that deep inside of you is, is a light of the spirit and that we're connected. But it's taken me a long time to really understand that. I was fascinated with the body, the way the body holds memories. I studied uh, to be a hypnotherapist so that I could understand the subconscious mind. And it's so powerful. I mean, it was powerful for me. It's been powerful for others also. And I, I just, um, but underneath it all for me was grief. Remember, I was telling you about the grief of my father dying. All the other losses I had in my life, I just kept putting them down in that container, you know, with the big L for loss on it. And um, as I started to open that and to let that come out, I studied a lot about grief, death, dying. And, and that's something still today that I share. I am, It's important to me to because as they say that's one of the biggest fears that we all have and yet it's going to happen to all of us so not anytime soon but to have a greater understanding all my fears i love when we do the work and it our fears become less i actually worry a lot too and so when i'm i'm going to get into the the um parts of myself that I name and through the program of ACA. When I came back into ACA, I, my qualifying event was I was managing at a spa and um, I had 18 employees and I was micromanaging. I mean, the owner and I didn't get along, but it, you know, relationships are hard. <laughs> and I, I just was micromanaging. I mean, down to the way they folded the towels, you know, that the estheticians put on the, I mean, everything. It just had to be, right? That whole perfectionist. And I mean, I was wound tighter than a drum. And I realized with this um, personality difference with the owner that it was probably time for me to leave. And it was about the same time that she decided that maybe I should leave. So we, we parted and the very next day I went to an ACA meeting. I found one where I was living and um, got a home group and got a sponsor and um, just dove in. I mean, I dove in. So I have done the yellow workbook twice. I have done Tony A's steps. If you don't have his uh, laundry list book or have done his steps, they're very gentle and loving um, and and revealing for me. Um, so I've done those twice. The laundry list workbook twice. And then when the Loving Parent Guidebook came out, oh, my gosh, I was on fire. You guys, I was on fire about that book. I, I love the all the little cartoons and, and the drawings, and it, it gave me a chance to identify more of my parts. And so 
I am a worrier, like I was saying. So that part of me that worries, even though most things I've worried about never come true. Her name is Wanda. My inner critic's name is Marilee. That's my mother's name. And so I have, of course, little Sherry. And then the teenager, I always think it's important to find some kind of connection for that teenager. And some of you know that know me that I rode Harley Davidson's for 28 years. And I'm telling you, my inner teenager loved that, you know, little risky. And especially when they would tell me, and you can see how this is all winding up now. They'd tell me, you ride good. You ride as good as the boys. (laughs) So I, you know, we find these things that satisfy these different parts of us. My inner child today is happy for the most part. There's times when she's sad. And I think earlier today, when I was going over what I wanted to share, I, she needed me to check in with her to see if it was safe that we were telling these secrets. You know, that I'm telling you what really happened. My father had always told me that if I tell anyone, he'd go to jail and I'd be left alone. You know, that threat of abandonment. And so today I had to go in and I had the opportunity to to talk to her and to reassure her that this was going to be a safe environment for us. And and it's okay to tell our story because it's our story. And forget that don't talk, don't trust, you know, don't feel. I'm a very feeling person and uh, I love doing mirror work. I do the non-dominant handwriting, not as much as I used to, but um, I do the mirror work and I can really look at myself and tell myself that I love who I'm seeing. And so my loving parent is there for me when I need her. I had a hard time understanding the false, well, not the false self, but the true self. And it talks about that in our literature. And so after doing these years of work that I've done is that I, I really feel that my true self is this innocence that came to this planet to have some experiences and to connect with myself, to not feel like I was a mistake, that nobody really wanted me, that nobody really liked me. They just said they liked me or they just thought they'd be my friends or they wanted something from me. All of that was an illusion. And that my false self just pretended. I was good at pretending. And so to find out what my true self is and to have a connection with my higher power and to have structure. That's another thing that I really needed in my life. And in the morning, I, I have a ritual that I do. I do readings. um, I do prayer. And then I go up on what we call here in Mexico, the Mirador have these beautiful mountains and, um, and I write, and I write in my journal, I'll write to my inner child. 
And I think it's important for me to start my day that way. And if I don't get to my journal, then I make sure that I get to it later. So I just want to say about, um, I raised my two children by myself until uh, my daughter was having a daughter. And then I met someone and I got married and I hadn't been working a program. Anyway, in a very short period of time, I whipped through two marriages. I just thought I'd catch up with everybody else my age. But uh, when my daughter was about 15, her disease started taking off. And I contacted, well, I found him in a phone book, her father's name in Hawaii. And I prayed and prayed and prayed and I called. And I said, I don't know if you remember me or not, but he goes, Sherry, I remember you. I've been waiting 15 years for this phone call. I just need to tell you that I'm an alcoholic and I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous. And how soon can you guys get here? And to me, that was, uh, you know, my higher power, my higher power. And the fact that I was living a sober life at that time. And it was important to me to give my daughter the connection she didn't have with a father. And to change my perspective on my relationship with my father. They now have had a relationship for many, many years. And he was able to see his granddaughter being born where he wasn't able to be there um, for his own daughter. Um, my son's been with his partner for 25 years. I mean, I just don't know how this happened. But I do know that when I said I had children because I wanted to have love, give love and receive love from that connection, I just want to tell you, even though it's been rough times, some very rough times, I have that today. And it fills, fills me. And um, I mean, there were times when I had to do time out from my you know, kids or my sister or anyone else. But, um, and then another positive thing other than finding my daughter's father is that about five years ago, I did an ancestry in me and then I, or ancestry, and then I did a 23 in me. At first I found out who my birth mother was and I was able to I was her third child and she was only 21. And so she had two children before me. She gave me up and then she had two more children. And I've been able to meet my younger brother from my mother. My mother and my father met in a bar and I probably was conceived in a, I don't know, 50 Chevrolet or something. Um, and my father, they're both deceased, but I met his wife and their three children. I've met all, all of them. So I've made these connections. They aren't like solid, like we'd lived together all of our lives. But when we met, we cried and we held each other because there was a, a connection there. And I never would have had that without ACA. Never. I never would have looked 
I would have continued to think I wasn't worth having that. And that's why I believe in miracles in this program. I really do. And I hope that everyone never gives up. I, um, I believe in sponsorship. I love the women that I have sponsored. Last night, we finished up I, I, my fourth time facilitating the Loving Parent Guidebook with close to 30 people that stuck in there for 22 weeks with me. Every time I do that book, because I do the work too, so four times I've done that book, uh, is that it just takes me to a deeper level. So I look at it as our recovery is like a spiral. And I know everything isn't like specifically to the book from me, but this is Sherry's belief, is that we're on this spiral, right? We're learning, we're growing, we're healing. And sometimes when we go by a situation or a trigger, it looks familiar, but we're at a different level as we're going higher into our healing. That it could be that looks similar, but it's different because we're on a path, I'm on a path of healing. Um, some non-conference approved books that have helped me have been about PTSD and how to deal with triggers. I like to teach tapping and some other tools. There's a lot of tools in recovery, but um, I, I believe in sponsorship. My sponsor that I've had for several years, we recently, within the last year and a half, chose to move out of the dynamics of sponsor, sponsee, and now we're co-sponsors. Um, and, and that's working for us. I, this is my major 12-step program, although I go to others where I live in this little tiny town in Mexico. I'm from a place in California that had at least 18 ACA meetings a week. And here there's one ACA meeting a week. And there's six of you us. You have two events for Sunday until oh. Wednesday. Here is well, the first here one. Here she is. Um, so there's only six of us in our little group, but you know what's great? It's a big red book study. And sometimes after we've been in the program for a long time, I like all different kinds of meetings, but um, sometimes we get away from the literature and, and I'm really, I mean, we're reading right now, we're in the tradition. So we're heading towards the end of the book. I think one of my favorite chapters is uh, chapter eight and the affirmations at the back of that have really helped me. I believe in affirmations. I believe in these are the things that really have helped me is my relationship with my higher power. My understanding today that there's no mistake that I'm on this planet. That I have anchored myself in the fact that I'm meant to be here now. That I wasn't a mistake. I wasn't a throwaway baby. 
and that there were people that loved me. That narcissistic, hypochondriac, she loved me the best way she could. I took care of her the last six years of her life. I was laying next to her in the uh, facility where she was the night she died. I crawled in bed with her and I forgave her. And I took care of everything that she wanted for the end of her life. And I was a dutiful daughter, but I also know that I had to move through the hatred I had for her. And I really came to see that underneath that anger that I pushed down and the fear is that I really did love her. And once again, to the best of my ability. It wasn't perfect in some people's eyes, especially my sister. And because of that, I haven't spoken to my sister since the day my mother died. And that was 13 years ago. It would not be healthy for me to be around her. And I know that. So we can divorce parts, you know, people in our family and live through it. Uh, and so I think that, you know, another thing that I just needed, I know it's uh, time for me to head towards wrapping up, is I think one of the hardest parts for me, if somebody goes, how did you find joy from where you've been? I mean, all the crazy things that happened to you, how can you find joy? Well, you know, I said I had a lot of addictions. What I realized is one of my main addictions was to misery. That I was addicted to misery. That I felt that, oh, it's crap. You know, I call them Eeyores now, you know, remember, oh, I, it's going to rain, you know, Eeyore. I, I was just, it was um, just something I expected the rug to get pulled out you know, the other shoe's going to drop, all that. Just, it was, and it was like an addiction. If I couldn't think of anything positive, boom, I'd wake up, boom, I'm in into the, uh, you know, anything that could go wrong would go wrong. And um, working through that was very, very difficult for me. And I, yeah, it took a long time for me to actually name that, claim that, and discard that. And it doesn't mean that I don't sometimes feel like, oh, poor me, but, um, or I'm drawn to people who um, are suffering. There's still that part of me that wants to fix, that wants to help heal. You've heard of the wounded healer. I, I can be that. But more than anything, and I've shared this in, uh, I'm going to, well, maybe not right now, but when the recording's off, I'd like to share a little story about my name. But anyway, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to share my story. I wish you all, all so much to be able to love that inner family and to find the joy in your heart. And please, please don't forget to be of service and connect. Thanks.